So it's December 26th, 2018. <laughs> I am at a late Christmas party. Uh, I get a chime on my phone from producer Ross uh, saying what is my new favorite holiday tradition, which is telling me what his dad got him. I really for do Christmas. look forward to it. My, I, it <laughs> if I'm decorating my house, it's in celebration of that event mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. more than any religious signification you could attach to it. The smiles of children, blah 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 blah. Season a given. I, I want to know what Leland grabbed <laughs> to give to his son. Is it Barry Goldwater's T-Bird fan? Is it a brass medal from an Italian fascist organization? Uh, or or uh, bronze uh, Soviet Venus lander commemoration memory. God, they're or all that. Yeah. They're all good. But or this one... Road, or shot up roadside. This one takes the cake it really in does. that it is a... What I can only describe as a junkyard homunculus. <laughs> uh, a golem uh, made of just rusty trash. Just... Really old, rusty trash. It's it's like a minion if it jigsaw made it. Yeah, it's got haunting yeah. googly haunting googly eyes, which wasn't a thing I thought could happen. I thought googly eyes were sort of inherently fun, They're like but, vacuum tubes. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did you name him, or did it come with a name? It came with a name. And there's it, a note. Oh, yeah, yeah, should, yeah. The note is oh, in the Discord, right. written in the most that's serial right. killer and haywire. Uh, what is it? Haywire wants a heart. Or yeah, is heart. is missing for his heart, and he's about to yank one out of your chest yeah, as yeah. Uh, he slowly moves forward to you. So, <laughs> Haywire, Haywire for me is sort of like Baby New Year of 2019, uh, in that you know he's late, induced, uh, regrettable, made of trash, and uh, off-putting in ways that vocabulary fails me to represent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So did you had some you had some notes on Haywire? I did. So? I thought we could do a whole bit roasting Haywire. <clears throat> yeah, and let's then get I, in there. Well, I got this worried. is definitely the episode art. I got worried he'd kill me. Um, <laughs> so I just wrote two. And actually, if we could get Haywire out of the room while I say these things, just <laughs> I'm, oh, he I'm, he, I'm he, I'm not he hears you. everything. Yeah, just All right, to be clear, we can vote for which one of these is the better roast. Um, Haywire is what happens when tetanus fights back. <laughs> <laughs> or Haywire is what happens when Keith Richards steps off stage. Mm. Uh, I said it was good to see the monster from Jamie Lee Curtis's virus getting worse. <laughs> um, he's he's really just awful, but in yeah. a way that uh, just keeps on giving, like all of your gifts, yeah. uh, as your house slowly becomes a macabre museum <laughs> of the insane. Uh, so to Haywire. And to producer Ross, who is surely in his last year on Earth now that this thing has entered his life. Yes. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And for as long as Haywire allows it, this is the Mix Six, Mm -hmm. where we drink six beers, have six conversations, rate them on a five-point scale, and uh, experience life, as Haywire wants to know, which is why he's going to take our blood. Um, Anyway, uh, we are here, we're back, Uh, we're thrilled to be here with a revitalized Patreon uh, account. New tiers? New tiers. New content offerings? Yes. So if you haven't checked out the page in a bit and you're just looking in the RSS feed, please do so. We've been messaging you 
frequently by the time you hear this, but we have adjusted tiers and what you get for it. We sort of rationalize the system and change things to help us out uh, to keep this thing moving forward. And if you're not a patron, make mm-hmm. sure that you check out uh, some of the changes on our Patreon page. Um, for example, we've moved uh, another episode behind the Patreon wall. So yep. if you're looking for your monthly two mix six episodes, one of those, in fact, two of those are now behind the paywall. Um, and we've introduced a Discord channel. We've introduced some exclusive early access opportunities. We've introduced some uh, elite or exclusive Discord participation And increased items. some participation uh, with the episode suggestions and whatnot. Right. So, yeah. Lots of things out there for you to participate in with the Mix 6 beyond this episode, but we're so glad you're here for this one. And we're going to start the year off right uh, with our first rating system mm. of 2019. Well, okay, right is strong yeah, it's, for what what you've just said. I'm going to tell you something. I feel good about this one. So um, it's January. It's It's the time of the year where... Not uh, as, as we record this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. As yeah. we record. I understand that you're not listening to it in January, yeah. time traveler. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that time of the year where Girl Scout cookies start showing up in front of you, or at least the opportunity to order them. I walked into the office the other day, and one of my team members had set out a Girl Scout cookie ordering form, which I promptly filled out and ordered too many boxes of cookies. But it got me thinking, there's some real fucking trash on here, Girl Scouts. So to be clear, we did the meetings... We yeah. d- did a bunch of stuff about revitalizing the podcast. Right. We were n- new year, new podcast. Yeah. And your first impulse is out the gate, food-based rating system. 100%. All right, great. Didn't right. even didn't even well, cross my mind that I would do something Time else. is a flat circle. That's right. I mean, Girl Scout cookies, that, people have strong <clears throat> opinions on these. Oh, I, I'm looking at the show notes, and yeah. fuck you. Right. Yeah. You haven't even said words yet. Right. Well, I'm, yeah. a, I'm pre-angry. I, yeah. I, I frankly would welcome <laughs> some strong negative opinions towards my food-based rating systems, because I'm like 10 for 10. You would have to at this <laughs> point <laughs> to continue doing. Here we go. Let's get into the muck. Yeah. Um, Girl Scout cookies rated one to five, one being absolute garbage, five being transcendent changes your life. A one, the Girl Scouts are making s'mores now, and I can't help but feel that it's just an absolute slap in the face. I'm not even angry about this one. I expected this. The conspiracy continues. (laughs) I think, I think I'm just I'm just going to say it. That tracks. Beware of the s'moral majority, guys. I've been Uh, waiting for that bit for a long time, uh, and I'm just never going to get there. uh, Beware the s'moral majority. (laughs) Hashtag. Uh, number two. Now, this is the one I'm going to run into some problems with. Yep. And I-D-G-A-F. Mm, do you, though? Caramel delights are not good. Fuck you. Caramel You're de- insane. Let me use a different sentence. You're insane. Caramel delights are bad. Mm. I don't <laughs> like them. They don't taste good. That's objectively wrong. The single <laughs> purpose of food outside of nourishment is to taste good. <laughs> And caramel delights do neither of the, those things God. because they're just sugar and well, they're shitty. We had a sugar. good run on the relaunch, <laughs> and then you did this. What are you talking about? Yeah, Honestly, come at me on this one. I will fight you. <laughs> they, d- don't say they will. They will come at you. At Egon Zor. Spencer just needs a song, and he can be a Disney villain. Now. Google oh, me. God. <laughs> I feel good about this. A three. So now we're getting to like, this is what you expect out of a Girl Scout cookie, maybe a cookie more generally. Or in this case, this is what you expect out of a beer. It's a thanks a lot. They're I don't know pleasant. what the fuck that is. It's shortbread on the top and then cho- like a chocolate underneath base. Oh, my God. They're pleasant. Now, That's the problem- a grandma cookie. Well, yeah, but they're great. <laughs> That's a grandma cookie. The problem that you That's get- in a bowl, and it's been there too long, and it's mixed in with like fucking work. Earthers. That's, you got grandma oh, cookie Oh, and those little son. strawberry things yeah. that are wrapped up? And, no. Yeah, okay. Don't conflate that with a, del- <laughs> with a really, really delicious thanks a lot. The that, problem with that's the, the cookie a lot, of a person who will not buy goldfish at the store. They have to go to the bespoke Peshbridge Farm store. <laughs> like... 
and then they go to yarn barn or something. I feel like I'm getting a lot of flack for making it a three. I mean, it's 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 expected, and and frankly, it's good. The problem is there's only like ten in a bag, and it's like, come on, man. <laughs> well, I mean, that's all they could take okay. at their advanced age right. with their special dietary restrictions, <laughs> their dentures. Um, okay, number four. Now we're getting into the good stuff. This is a beer you're going back for. You're actively seeking out, and frankly, it's only not a five because there's an objective five here. Number four for me is a Peter peanut butter sandwich. And don't come at me with the peanut butter chocolate bit. Just the straight up peanut butter sandwich. They're fucking delicious. I actually, I only order one box of them at the ripe old age of 32 because at the ripe young ages of 20 to 31 or whatever, I would order (laughs) multiple boxes and eat all of them in two days. So as a protective (laughs) Uh mechanism, I no longer do that. And a number five, you should see this coming. It's a thin mint, but important condition, in the freezer. A cold thin mint is just God's gift to. I've, I've, yes, I know many people who do that. So. Right, Ross, you look confused. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that. But I, have you, a, I have a hard disagree. I don't, yeah. I don't care for mint chocolate in general. Uh, so this would be well, my now you're wrong. Lover. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah, now yeah. now Ross and I are on the same. But here's group. the thing. I did not do the rating system. That's all right? true. We are a consequentialist ethical system. <laughs> just he <laughs> is the one who fucking did it. It's his fault. Just remember, as you are angry, right? Yeah, thank you. Are angry writing at me, uh, Caleb? The caramel delights aren't a four, or even a three. Yeah, yeah, that's wrong. Even a three? No, they're two because they're bad. Yeah, right. Yeah, the thank a lot limped in there on a fucking rascal scooter. (laughs) Don't they have one with like macadamia nuts or something? Like, uh, no, that doesn't sound right. Okay, I wouldn't need it if they did. Yeah, macadamia nuts can fuck off too. Um, well, with that, I don't know. Brilliantly contrived. Thanks a lot for the comments we're going to get about this one. Absolutely welcome. Love it to death on that note we're gonna grab some beer and we're back with our first dissecting fun of 2019 where we're talking about azul stained glass of centra and the impossibility of improving on the game of the fucking year well i mean just bury the oh the advance macaroons. the lead yeah. i guess elevate the lead yeah yeah show it off shine okay. a light on it all right there we hang go. a lantern yeah we'll be back Spencer, what are we drinking in general? The whole episode. Yeah. We're drinking from Side Project Brewing out of St. Louis, Missouri. Which is, frankly, the new hotness. It really is. Like, you can't find this shit unless you go to Side Project Brewing. And, Caleb, how long did you wait in line there to buy these beers? I waited 45 minutes to take away uh, over $100 of beer, which ended up being six bottles. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, and I just left. It was 45 minutes just to take beers away with me. Yeah. Um, Thrillist put out a list of the best brewery in every state and Side Project won Missouri. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, congratulations. So we that. are going to see if it is up to the hype, starting with, what are you starting with? La Rouche, which is an oak-aged Missouri Saison with honey. I've got to be honest, the nose on this thing is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, it smells great. And I will say, as you are drinking your first sip of that, uh, they are a specialist in wild ales uh, and wild beers, uh, which means they're going to lose a lot of Belgian and French names, and we are going to butcher those. Mm. Just <laughs> utterly... Utterly ruined them because it's a Missouri brewery. We're actually pronouncing them right. Oh, yes, the yeah, that's right. We <laughs> Missouri. We, it's our words now. It's right. our words. Yeah, <laughs> I'm from Versailles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. On that note, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Palm de Tiri. <laughs> Uh, how many other words have we butchered in the state? Every one of uh, all the all that we found. <laughs> that's phenomenal. All right, I'm going to get in there. That's really 
That's exceptional. Um, mm. It is sour on the front. It's dry, like a like a like a champagne dry, almost on mm-hmm. the back. There's no run through on it. It's really light for being it's honey. Really light. And then on the back end, here's the thing: on the back end, you you get the saison, you get some of that floralness, and then you get almost like a little. Sure, honey, but almost like a little like roasted caramel. There's there's something very, very um, not burned, but but hot about it. Also, more carbonated. A little, yeah, a little bu- more bubbly. Thing, yeah, 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 a little yeah. champagne in it. Yeah, um, charred. It might be the word yeah, that I. Would I like use. the hell out of that. I think that I think that's a five. This for me. is I mean, super I drinkable. I love. Yeah, that. that's the lightest oak age thing I've had in a long time. Yeah. I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be starting the year off wrong. You know, yeah. or putting us putting us in a bad position. But I think that's a five. That's a thin mints for me. I I'm not going to disagree. I would with that. drink the fuck out yeah. of that beer. Yeah. I mean, I technically am. Uh, am drinking. We're definitely going to finish this bomber. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's one of six now that we have. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, while we drink this wonderfully delicious beer from Side Project. Uh, we're into dissecting our fun, and we're going to talk about a thing that we, I think we both frankly thought was impossible. So in 2018, Azul won the Spiel de Jar. We have talked at length about how great that game is. In fact, in Beer and Review, I think I named it my favorite beer of the last year. And you're, it was on your list. You drank well. Azul, even. Right. Put the tiles in a bottle. Oh, consumed the whole thing. It, it did not go down. Very well. unhealthy. Yeah. And my doctor One as a liquid, but a five as a game. Very unhappy about that. <laughs> um, but... Then they released, and they, the, there'd been some hype around this Azul follow-up called Stained Glass of Centra, which, if you are familiar with Sagrada, seemed to use a similar mechanic. So in Sagrada, you're building stained glass windows by drafting dice. Um, and then, of course, in, in Azul, you're putting together these like wonderful tiled patterns by drafting tiles out of, a, out of a shared space. And so it seemed like they'd done this thing where they'd blended the best of both worlds, Sagrada and Azul, which are both beautiful dice or drafting-based mechanics. But that is not what they did. Um, it kind of looks like Sagrada because you're building stained yeah, glass windows, yeah. and it has the mechanic of Azul because you're drafting. In tiles. my opinion, they improved on Sagrada too. They improved on both <laughs> games, which which I think is kind of impossible because I thought Azul was near perfect. And in Stained Glass of Centra, what they've done is they've added some really important mechanics. So whereas in Azul you're drafting tiles to a static platform, you're all building towards the same tile type of board, and your tiles go on that board, and then you make them in any configuration, um, and you score points in azul stained glass of center the board is dynamic and so each turn you start with different strips that make up a stained glass window vertical strips of six spaces i believe five to six spaces five Mm -hmm. spaces and your drafting tiles really beautiful oddly interestingly fun to look at mechanic yeah Yeah. they they look like old jolly ranchers when jolly ranchers were square and came in a pack yeah it's really oddly hard to not eat them um there's some in the same bowl where your grandma keeps her thanks a lot okay all right (laughs) okay um you're, you're drafting those tiles um and then you're placing those tiles in their relevant spots based on color along these different strips uh, and so you're trying to fill in the strips of these windows as you move along. And then after you fill in a strip, you can flip the strip over. And on the other side of the strip, there's another window to fill in. Mm-hmm. But as you fill in the strip, you then get to count that strip as scored once you've completed it. But the board moves left to right. So as you score, you also get to score then any strips you've completed to the right of the, the strip you just scored. And so there's some value in starting at the end of the board and moving left, which is a little counterintuitive. Yeah. Especially because they have added uh, a, a kind of a worker placement mechanic, and it's really not worker replacement, I suppose. But you're, you're given 
a little meeple, and the meeple sits along the top of your board at any of those strips. And it starts at the leftmost strip. And, and you can only work on what you're on or to the right. That's exactly right. So it's got a bit of a Tokaido mechanic. Right. Like, I want to jump ahead to get this thing I really want, but then I have to waste time going back. That's right. You have you have to move the, the, the meeple, the marker, to the strip you want to place on. And once you move it there, then you can only place on that strip or any strips to the right of it moving forward. And to play on strips to the left of it, you have to take a turn off just to move the meeple back to the beginning of the board. And so it forces you to think multiple turns ahead about what's available to you, what do you want to draft, and then where do you want to place it because you may have to take turns off if you place them in certain locations to reset your board and then be able to come back to what you want to do. So it adds both this dynamic board mechanic and this interesting placement mechanic, which really limits your decision making, but also creates a lot of opportunity as you watch what other people around the table are doing. It allows you to play, are they going to go for those tiles that I need? Well, their meeples here. In order to do that, they're going to have to move their thing back. They're going to have to take a turn off. So I could probably take those tiles now, or I could wait a turn and take them later. It creates a lot of if this, then this, therefore this style mechanics. Uh, and then and then you get this really nice little scoring bonus for having done that multiple times and, and made smart decisions. I'm impressed with it because it feels like they improved on a game that felt hard to improve I'm impressed on. with it for so many reasons. Like, I'll, I'll be honest. If Azul had come out with something else, like Azul 2, and the tiles were brown because and the instructions said they're brown because we think you're poop, ha, and there was no instructions. Right. I'd still be like, Azul was really good, though. Yeah. I probably I probably owed them this expansion. I am kind of poop sometimes. Right. Uh, like, they have a point. Who amongst us? Like, I'd start defending Azul again. They could have phoned this bitch in. Right. Like, they could have done nothing. Yeah. And I'd have been completely fine because Azul's still great. Fact is, they took all of the same mechanics from the original game. They added new mechanics that did nothing to ruin the old mechanics. Made them better. And they made a completely new game. Yeah. Like, that was like still, I think, a spiritual successor to Azul. Like, yep. it's still very much Azul, mm -hmm. and yet it is entirely new, and it is uh, profoundly cool. Like, right. this is the kind of stuff that um, uh, Century is trying to do with, like, Spice Eastern Road. Wonder yep. and Spice Road. Golem. I don't think those games blend together nearly as well as Azul does with mm -hmm. this. Right, I mean, because Golem Edition, which is great and I love it, but, it, it, I mean, it's it's a retread of Spice Road. It just looks different. Yeah, but, you're, but you can also combine Spice Road and Eastern Wonders right. in a way that I don't really feel like is as cohesive, even, mm -hmm. as uh, Azul uh, and... Because basically all you're really changing, other than the meeple mechanic you so adequately described, I, right. I really appreciate that. Because yeah. uh, I, I could not recall how it worked other than that I loved it because we'd had a few more of uh, beers other than this one. Because We would have had a lot of those. Ooh, yeah, one. I would have had a lot of those. That would have been bad. I would not have remembered playing this game. Uh, anyway, it, it is uh, profound in that the the drafting mechanic of those tiles works just as well as it always did. And really, I feel like the only thing they change is where are you putting that tile once you've drafted it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they've changed that in such an interesting way that right. is so much more dynamic and replayable than even the original board. Yeah. Um, and keep in mind, the original board has the blank side where you can make your own pattern, which is also super interesting. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by it. I felt like, um, after playing it, we've played it a few times now with some people and then Brandy and I have just played it a few times too. She continues to crush me at every turn. <laughs> um, it felt it now it feels like I think you're totally right. There's kind of a predecessor like relationship here. It totally feels like Azul was training you to get good with the tile drafting mechanic and the wagering mechanic of can I take this? Should I not take this? And what am I going to end up with if I don't take this? So that you could take that skill set and apply it to a more complex, a more nuanced, a more thoughtful version of there, that question. There is later. an almost an educational scaffolding yeah. to it all. Like, yeah. 
the brilliance of the tile drafting mechanic might have been lost on me if right. there was that sort of worker placement. 100%. How far right do I need to go back? I might have been latching onto that familiarity too much to realize that, damn, that tile drafting is amazing. Right. It's incredible. Because there's um, nothing more satisfying than screwing something, screwing someone with a bunch of tiles they cannot place right. in that middle area and just timing the terms out to where they have to get it and bomb their own score. It's a... Uh, it's an early front runner for me for top five games of the year. Yeah. And I way too early front runner. Yeah. And I don't even care a little bit. Um, if you're looking for a new game to play with a couple of people uh, and you're looking for a medium thinky game and you really liked Azul or frankly didn't really like Azul, definitely check out Azul Stained Glass of Centra. It gets something like our seal of approval. And on that note, we're going to grab more beer and we'll be right back. Caleb, let's see if Side Project can do it again. What are you drinking? I am drinking the Balaton, uh, which is a Missouri wild ale aged with Michigan cherries. Is Michigan known for their cherries? Uh, Max, yes. local Michigander. Um, let us know if Michigan I, is known for their cherries. I, I think a Michigan cherry is like a type of cherry, though. Oh, I man. think that's like a like a denotion of a type of cherry. God, that's confusing. Yeah. You can see how somebody would get confused. Yeah, Ross, I'm surprised you didn't know that because you know every genus and species of everything. Yeah, you dick. Yeah, coelacanth. <laughs> Where you at there? Way well, to lay us down. I'm more of a bio, not not really as much as a botany. So. Yeah. Wait, oh <laughs> God. <laughs> Sometimes we, things leave your mouth. We are putting the call out wanted producer who is also a naturalist mm. that can sketch various fauna and flora for us and, and tell us all about them. Uh, anyway, I should drink this. You should. That's a, that is a dark looking beer in a glass. I am kind of stunned. Ooh, Caleb's face is. Oh, man, that smell is like a, a beer saying I'm smarter than you. Oh, like it, <laughs> to be clear, this beer is smarter. than Yeah, us. it's it's complex enough that it's like. Uh yeah, do you smell that? Like it's oh, like God, yeah. There's it's just basically telling you there's too much in here for you. You don't have like the cherries are combining with uh the man. It is very good. Huh. Oh man, I hate to do this. That aftertaste though. Oh my God, that aftertaste is oh rings like a bell. The hype is real. Yeah, the hype it might be real. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, by the way, they just grow a lot of cherries in Michigan. It's like over 90,000 tons of a year. Good. It seems uh, like a lot of cherries. A lot of tart cherries. All right, producer Ross, you're hired again. <laughs> uh, you've redeemed yourself. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this is a very good beer. Um, yeah. yeah. Have it you is. tried it yet? Yeah, I tried it a little from the bottle. Yeah, it is, uh, it is uh, quite amazing. The cherries are very complex, uh, sort of understated until the end. They sort of dip down. That's exactly right. Uh, it's very, it's very more of light Cezanne, uh, uh, as it is much like the LaRouche up front. Yeah, these are sour cherries. But though. yeah, then that sourness right. ramps back up near the end. But and it's sort never of overly tart. Part of, part of the problem with like cherries, especially when it comes to these like wild ales <coughs> or sours, is it's just all cherry all the time. Like even some of the Crooked Stave stuff, with I, which I think is like almost perfect. Sometimes it's too much. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost viscous. Yeah. It's it's uh, like viscous. Tart. That's all you get. Yeah, I'm, that I'm, is gonna, not I'm gonna sound like a tool, and I already have. But there's like dynamics to the flavor. It, right. it fades and then comes back in. What's like, the rating? Yeah, it's five. Yeah, it's a five. <laughs> it's a five. I don't Two know. Fives. I don't know why that was a question. Kind of feel like we're we're starting the we year. We get the state for the record, setting ourselves up for failure. Um, <laughs> so I'm really looking forward <laughs> yeah, to that. Yeah. Hey, we're into professional drinking, which is not something we've done in a while. But occasionally, a question comes across your desktop, 
and you've just got to respond to it. So Janice MCC asks, hi, Janice, when going out for a beer, do you find yourself more drawn by promises of quality or novelty? Such a good question. And how topical given the side project yeah. business? Um, I, uh, I want to, I want to respond to this very quickly and then we can kind of unpack and, and you all can weigh in. So, uh, I, I played in a poker game last week and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to pop out, uh, in between work and poker game and I'm going to get some vape tricks. Light drinker can have a bunch of them <clears throat> and then I'll be good to go. So I went to the Brown Derby wine center, the Derb, uh, they don't have any vape tricks. And at that point my brain shut off. They have probably 10 million other beers in there <laughs> yeah. and I did not want to drink another one of them. And I think where I've come to on this, and I can't tell if this is like the ultimate beer snob thing to say, or really not all that beer snobby. It's kind of the opposite of beer snob. We've tried over 400 beers. We're currently drinking some of the best beer we've ever consumed, frankly. Yeah. Um, a lot of beer just isn't good for me anymore. Like, I, I just don't, I don't want to drink it. It's not, it's not that it's bad. It's not that uh, it, it's, it's gross. It's just, I don't want to drink it. I've had it. Um, I'm either I'm either looking for bush light because I want to drink a bunch for 10 hours or I'm looking for something I know that I'm going to like. I'm past novelty and very much into I'm looking for something that I think is going to be the best beer I've had in a it, long time. It's so much more contextual than it ever was for me before. Sure. Like uh so it used to be like I am at a bar, must be there to get drunk. Um because I didn't really have a beer vocabulary and I still don't for the most part. Um and then I'm going to do something that will get the job done with the least amount of pain and the least impact on my wallet. Right. Um, and that's like college drinking. Right. Efficiency. Um, but then you get to more taste. You're like, you're older. I'm beyond that. But you're still basically like, I'm here to have a good time. I want to get a little loosened up social lubricant of alcohol. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What gets me there? And if I'm still doing that, which I, I still do, I am going for a sort of like minimum viable taste. Like, all right, that's good. I can have a lot of that mm -hmm. and, you know, get to where I need to be. Now, here's the thing. If I'm outside my distribution lane right. exclusively for novelty, uh, I and that's the thing. So yeah, the other fair. thing is like novelty isn't a choice in most places I go to drink now. We're over 400. Like if you don't have stuff on tap I haven't had before, right. like at least in my city, yeah. like uh, in, in most instances. Uh, so in that pace, when I'm not trying to like prove something to myself or expand – then, yeah, I'm going for, like, something I, I want, and it depends on the day I've That's had. It depends on the weather. We've talked about how I am conditioned by the weather to mm -hmm, drink like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, thanks, global warming. It's 70 degrees out. I'm thrilled I'm having this it's at this point. I don't know how I would feel about, like, LaRouche on a cold day. I think I would feel pretty good about LaRouche on I, I would feel I would feel about it, but, like, <laughs> I'd, I'd want a stout. I'd want something thicker. Like, you know, that's just how I how I work. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so for me, if I'm outside of my lane, I almost exclusively go for novelty. Me, to the point where I'm like, oh, I'm very sad I spent that much money on that thing if it's not very good. But um, at the same time, I, I, I'm not regarding it as a, like, well, I need to get socially lubricated every right. time. Because time. Uh, normally, when I'm drinking a beer, now that we're doing this podcast, I get to talk about the beer, right. and that's the that's the conversation starter I needed with awkward people that yeah, exactly. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think your levels of distinction are good. It probably adds some context to the stuff that I was saying. I think generally now, I would rather in drink something I know I'm going to enjoy if I'm making the choice to drink, because I really don't drink outside of the podcast. Or then social stuff. I mean, I don't go home and, like, have a beer. Um, and so quality is, is important for me there. Now, I do think there is uh, probably one more element to this, though, which is um, I don't know that quality or 
quality and novelty are uh, mutually exclusive anymore with, with a lot of things that we drink. Yeah. So I think about, like, I've got a bottle of Founders CBS uh, that we're going to have on an upcoming uh-huh. jury of our beers. And, you know, part of, part of the act of that is going to find a CBS, which is hard to do. I mean, it was very hard to do in Springfield. You had to stand in a line. I missed the line. That's also true. There's also enough stuff that we've tried before, but it's so limited right. that, like, we start stocking up on weird beers to, like, hold in reserve. That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, like, I, I got up and, and at 8 in the morning and went to stand in a line to get a Bourbon County Stout. Yeah. I mean, there's something kind of novel about the act, the search at this point, for some of the, like, higher quality, finer, more niche beers. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically, those beers are associated with quality. Now, if I'm being totally honest, um, not all of those beers are very quality to me. I think that the search is, is oftentimes kind of like greater than the, the catch. Yeah. Um, but I do think that when there, there's a level of beer nerdery or beer snobbery where novelty and quality are probably overly conflated, just given the nature of release and distribution. Yeah. Um, and so we definitely live in that space too. But it's a really good question, uh, and I thought it was really interesting, especially since we were about to do a side project thing, which... Until you encounter it. So for me, before we sat down and opened these bottles, if I'm being honest, side project was a novelty bit. Like when you said... Um, You're uh, the best in the state. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like Greg brought us some, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which was like super kind of him to like bring some back from St. Louis. It was interesting to me because it's novel. I'd heard of Side Project. Yeah. I know they're difficult to get. You can't find them in stores. When you told me the fucking circus hoop you jumped through to get those beers. I, I, I'm still a little terrified of the two fives that we have right now because right. I'm worried like the price tag, the the marketing is affecting my taste buds. And like I, I, I'm not, this isn't a blind taste test. Oh, it's psychological. Yeah, I'm not in right. a lab. Is this Confirmation psychologically bias. affecting me? Right. But. I mean, I want to say no, but then everyone who's experiencing but that see, wants to say no. But man, this shit's good. Because, like, yeah, my instinct, I think, and this, I'm trying to figure out if I'm overcorrecting or not. My instinct is to say, like, there are very few beers that are worth this to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I sat in the Crooked Stave tasting room and thought, like, that's a $70 bottle of beer. And I didn't immediately reject the idea. Now, of course, I didn't buy it. But my instinct is to say, like, no beer. Nothing is worth that amount of money that you're going to consume. And I, uh. I, do, I do sort of worry that we're moving towards, like, craft getting to the point where it's going to turn into wine. Uh-huh. And I don't want to turn into wine, like, and the bullshittery of wine. Yeah. Uh, but at, at the same time, I think $15, $30 isn't wine levels. It's right. not $200 a bottle or I, anything. Also, aging beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, aging beer is a much more, as, as we learned with other juries right. of our beers, is a much more difficult prospect. Right. Um, yeah. So great question. Thanks so much. Hope you guys are doing well. Hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Uh, on that note, we're going to grab what I hope, frankly, isn't another five, so we just don't sound like a bunch of Homer jackets. <laughs> uh, and we'll be right back. Spencer, God, what do you... I know. Let's just hope it's bad, I just, just to save our I've integrity. I've never wanted to dislike a beer more. I'm really so. torn. I don't. I also want it to be good, because it's very good, but... Surprise, surprise, man. from Side Project Brewing. It's almost as if drinking this stuff is destroying me. That's weird. That's, that's <laughs> unheard think of. About. This is, is the it? Grisette. It's a fooder-aged farmhouse ale. A fooder is just a giant-ass fucking barrel, for the most part, mm-hmm. in its simplest form, y'all. And I... Uh, okay. <laughs> he's, All right, staying safe. He's getting in there. Yep. We, we do like a farmhouse. It's a lighter colored. Uh, we do like uh, a farmhouse area. on this yeah, yeah. They are generally lighter yeah. inside project. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what that means. At first, I taste that I'm like, ah, it's not. And then here's what I'm learning about side project. 
when people talk about complexity and depth, like I think this is, I think this is what they're talking about. Um, there's, there's what you get on the front, and then as it moves down the fucking palette, God, I've never sounded awfuler. You just get so much. There's a back end, and when you drink enough, that if you drink as much as we have drank, the back end is more often than not not great. <laughs> the back. So if you can pull off the back end, like which it appears to be doing, that's phenomenal. <laughs> you sound so <laughs> disgruntled about it. All right, I got more unhappy to drink a. I five. gotta get him here. Um, <laughs> it's a thin mint. God damn it! I quit. Oh, I'm not doing this anymore. No more podcasts. I mean, pay- I mean, these are these are expensive bottles. They right? are. Yeah, it's it's dry. It's there's like a little bit of floral hoppiness. Not not this bitterness. Mm-hmm. It's it actually it's got the right amount of floral. It's almost a little bit tart on the back end. This isn't just because I want to disagree with you. That's a yeah. four for me. Good. That's Good. not as amazing as as the other one. That's I, great. The other one's you know what? I would agree. Off. I would agree with that too. Just yeah. Because like, yeah, it's, it's a farmhouse. I mean, I think it's very good. Yeah. I think it's a beer to be proud of. I think it's a beer to but buy if you see for certain. Here's the thing. that first sour. Was just, you yeah. think you think you've had a better farmhouse than that? Uh this is as good yeah. as farmhouse has got. La Creek Noir. Uh, we've had some really good farmhouses. I don't think we've podcast, had. A, I don't think man. we've had a better farmhouse. than We've that. had some great farmhouses. Yeah, but I don't think any of them has been that good. No, I think they you have. know one of the yeah. things I, I realize the so that's I, a little toned down for a farmhouse for me. That's what I like about it. No, what? I see. I wanted to yeah. rank that up a little okay. bit more. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, what if one of the reasons why side projects uh, these bottles are so good is because side project doesn't distribute them, so they store them properly. And so they don't have any of the vagaries of transportation. Could be it. That really could be it. Yeah. Yeah. Could so that, that could be a major factor in this. Could so, also yeah. be they're just doing great fucking beer. Either well, maybe way, it's both. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy about both these things. Yeah. Um, hey, we're into Humanities Fight, which was your number one vote getter. And honestly, I was surprised to see it. It just like hasn't made its way up the ranks yeah. in some time. Maybe that's why it was number one this time. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, we're pulling from, um, from your questions. Alex B. asks, when people are asked to name a genius... Scientists often went out over the greats in the humanities, Einstein, Hawking, etc. Who would be your top three non-scientist geniuses? I have to be honest, mine are in no particular order. Uh, mine are not either. Okay, I'm going to let you start then. Uh, am I allowed? I'm not allowed to pick Marx, right? You're not. I just assumed I wasn't allowed <laughs> to pick Marx. Yeah, you're Why not. wouldn't you so be allowed to general... pick Marx? Okay. No. Oh, come on. Okay, Hegel. <laughs> Hegel, then. You're it's asshole. definitely... <laughs> I don't like anything about anything that's happening. I laugh, but it's definitely Hegel. Um, so, the dialectic, um, things are defined by their internal contradictions, mm-hmm. uh, that everything only experiences oneness by acknowledging those contradictions and the fact that nothing can be without not being. Um, <clears throat> how that leads to Derrida, how that leads to, uh, you know... Marx, uh, mm-hmm. Jameson, most um, great philosophy, most great philosophy, uh, certainly contemporary. That's sort of the unlock, you know, unlock code for mm-hmm. some fantastic thinking about stuff that needs to be thought about. Totally so, agree. Uh, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. I know that isn't Hegel who used those terms, but the triad um, that is just a fantastic way to attack anything uh, that really dis- demystifies it um, mm-hmm. in a way that is productive. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Hegel, it's not close. You can't pick Marx, but I can pick and did pick Kenneth Burke. See, I see that's just not fucking fair. <laughs> yeah, you know, what? that's just not fair because yeah. I don't see people <clears throat> posting Kenneth Burke memes in the group targeted at me. <laughs> so I feel like whatever you've done. All right, mission for 2019 podcast fans. 
Invent Kenneth Burke memes. Right, exactly. Oh, then God. post them at Spencer. <laughs> right, right. So, well, they're going to be too busy with this food business. This meme was made Ken- for me. Kenneth Burke just needs his own gritty to to come out. <laughs> Kenneth Burke has got some gritty. Um, I- I've talked at length about this. I I, I won't belabor the fact. Uh, get it? It's a Marx joke. Um, I yeah. do. I do think that Kenneth Burke is brilliant. Um, I, there are very few things I've read in my life that made me once I kind of pondered them, think differently about how I interacted with people, how I thought about things, how I saw the world. Um, and Kenneth Burke is a testament to that. So Kenneth Burke is, is in my top three. Who, who else is on your list? Uh, so this is going to be related to a segment we do later, but uh, I, I revisited him, but I'm going to go with David Foster Wallace. So there's something to be said about the life behind the work. I know the work should speak for itself, but the fact that he like could have been a tennis pro, but got bored of it, and then he could have been a Fields Medal mathematician and then got bored of it. And then he became a, uh, you know, MacArthur Grant winning uh, author. Um, there's something to be say from sheer variety and ability to do things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that uh, if you're going to justify being a maximalist, which you definitely are if you're David Foster Wallace, you need to have that sort of encyclopedic lexicon that he does and the ability to bore down into details and the other thing is that david foster wallace speaks to me because it's like it's like my depression made an argument of how i should feel and then i assigned it an essay and then it turned it in like that that's really a david foster wallace chapter short story anything it's just like oh man existence is just sort of oppressive isn't there's just so much of it there's just so much stuff just, just weighing down on you. like, and, and, and then he covers what seems like it must be all of it. Uh, and then you're just like, yeah, but it's not, though. Right. And it's just sort of like grotesque in a way that is um, so fresh and original even now. Um, and nothing that I could ever do, nothing that I've never seen. And God knows I've seen people in workshops try. Nothing I've seen anybody else <laughs> capable of doing. Um, and yeah, so definitely some genius there. Um, Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, I, I didn't put this cause I know you would and I would agree with you. Yeah. Um, uh, there is something to be said, f- at least for, for me, from someone, uh, assuming, articulating the, the world is absurd and rather than take this kind of like pacifist, we're all fucked approach to it, really embracing the absurdity of all of it and trying to find something meaningful in there uh, as an orientation. And I just don't think it's been, at least for me, I've never seen anything quite like it. it and Existentialism it, past the angst. Right, that's right. And yeah. uh, there's no other fiction that has really made me feel so differently about the world uh, than... Slaughterhouse Five, Breakfast of Champions, Bluebeard, Timequake. My God, Bluebeard and Timequake. Um, uh, he's also one of the few people that I've ever gone back to read mm-hmm. because I felt like so much of it was was important and meaningful and, and helped me gain some perspective. So, third on your list, uh, I'm going to be a real basic bitch and say Shakespeare. Basic. <laughs> you really leaned uh, into it, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a bardist. I admit that. Now, here's the thing. I'm also a Marxist, so I also admit that Shakespeare's not as popular if you don't have British colonialism bringing it to you at the end of a bayonet. Uh, and I understand that he was the Michael Bay of his time and not considered high art. Michael Bayonet. Uh, okay. Awesome point. 
<laughs> I feel like I earned that one. No one gets Did awesome. Po- no one gets awesome points for British colonialism. No, <laughs> no, but you do for for uh, portmanteauing the British colonialism into a modern American director. You're welcome. No. What would Michael Bay be if he was British? Shakespeare. God, <laughs> isn't that what, that isn't would that, be terrifying? Isn't that the crux Just of be your like argument? some Union Jack waving like. God and the Queen and stuff. Yeah, right. I think they just declared wars and like they like Michael yeah. Bay would have been a general in like nineteenth century. <laughs> I'm just sorry, that's Britain. an Elseworlds I don't want to read. It would be <laughs> yeah. terrifying. Um, anyway, uh, I ad- adore Shakespeare for all the reasons that you're supposed to adore him, but mainly it's that I think that he finds the dramatic core in ambiguity and specifically the idea that. Uh, what I hear, what I hate about Shakespeare is when people read it is like it's all about character and the deepness of the character. It's like no, it's all about fucking up, specifically misreading things. Like the drama of Shakespeare is taking a text and not understanding it correctly. Lear does not recognize the true motivations behind his daughter's actions. Uh, you know, Hamlet weaponizes mm-hmm. the fact that mm-hmm. you don't understand and interpret his actions. You don't fucked up. Uh, to the point where he weaponizes it against himself, and right. he stops understanding his yeah. own actions. Even goes down to, like, Romeo and Juliet. Just like, man, would have been nice if that note got there in right, time. Right, like, It's just entirely What about- if you didn't have cell phone service? And, and Shakespeare's whole, like, you know, I guess you would say thesis for a large corpus of his work is like you take a text, whether it be like a witch's prophecy or uh, anything, and you misread it to the point, and that and that's where drama comes from, and also where all the strife in the world comes from. The strife in the world comes from looking at a singular text and coming to different conclusions, and the meta narrative of that and the uh, depth of that in drama compared to like drama comes from. The supervillain has a MacGuffin. Right, uh, is is refreshing to this day. So I, I'm a bardist. Yeah, I, I will admit as much. Um, I thought a lot about what genius means in the context of this question, and the first two people I picked were people who just made me feel think differently about the world. But this third person, I think, is really kind of like really kind of captures what I think genius does. And for me, the people that I've always felt were geniuses. Um, you know, regardless of, of classification, qualification, it is um, who can see two unrelated things, put them together and make new meaning out of both. Um, and uh, Suzanne Langer uh, really, really kind of speaks to me in that vein. Philosophy in a new key in particular, I thought, um, is one of just the, like most interesting reads of my entire lifetime. What if I took this other vocabulary, music? And I applied it as a framework, a paradigm for understanding philosophy so that I could trouble the way that we've used philosophy, the way that we valued certain philosophies, and force us to rethink what philosophy ought do, ought be. Um, that's terribly interesting to me. And I think it's the ability to rationalize two disparate vocabularies together and make new meaning of both. And then that work extends. Feeling and form uh, was one of the most interesting things I read in grad school. And then mind is kind of like this tome that I've gone back to a number of times and I've read pieces and bits of. It's just and, called Mind? Uh, a Mind, an essay on human feeling. I think All right, at least yeah. there's a subtitle. Yeah. Like, that's pretty ballsy to be like, but here's it's, my philosophical treaties. Right, but, but it's massive. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's written over three volumes over like a 10 or 15 year period. I mean, it's really kind of an opus, I suppose, in some ways. And I've never finished the whole thing, but I've read these like chunks of it for, for different projects. And every time I go to it, I mean, it is just a treasure trove of like interesting thought provoking observation. Um, And I think that that for me is the stuff that really rings smacks of genius. 
So Burke, Vonnegut, Langer. Uh, that's my list. I could go on, but you asked for three. Yeah, Alex you only B. gave me three, man. Right. So, so uh, thanks so much. Hey, hope you're doing well. Uh, and on that note, we're going to grab another beer and we'll be right back. Caleb, what's this probably great beer? Uh, this is going to be from, believe it or not, Side Project Brewing. Switching things up. Uh, the, I believe it. The Burke. It is going to be an ale aged in wine barrels with apples in collaboration with Angry Orchard Hard Cider, which is, you know, a callback. Mm-hmm. Solid cider community here if, on this podcast. If I remember correctly, that, that, Ross, was the day that you proclaimed to be a fucking professional. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... I proclaimed it, but I've, I've always been a fucking professional. Yeah, so sure, twa- definitely. Twas ever thus. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to try the old Burke. Quite the bardist. He's getting in there. This one, this one does not look great. I'm going to be honest. The color of this beer does not inspire confidence. It is a bit murky. Yeah. Yeah, it has a uh, it has a melted chocolate in water looking quality to it. Caleb has now gone back for his third attempt to deduce the rating of this beer. Is is it vexing? That's a three for me. All right. Now we're cooking with heat. That's Let's a, do it. Meh. That's a cider. Uh, you get in there and try it, but that is... Um, Here, let me try it. It's more angry orchard... It's more angry orchard expectation <laughs> than what I would expect from side project expectation. Um, Yeah, I didn't think I'd ever say this. There's too much apple in there on the back. It's a little too sweet. Yes, that's right. Uh, it's a little too sweet, especially for what I've come to expect from side project. Um, now to be a three and crushingly disappointing is an achievement in and of itself. Totally agree. Uh, but it's a three yeah. nonetheless. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel better about it. <laughs> yeah. I really do. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm real kind of <laughs> mad about that. I'd rather have like a, a McIntyre blackberry cider or damn any some low end stuff. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Hey, we're into ask me six and two of you ask questions about new year's resolutions, both John Burgess and Stephen Lee. Um, slightly different perspectives here. Um, someone wanted to know our opinions on them. Someone wanted to know the weirdest ones we've made. Someone wanted to know if we had any for 2019. So we kind of thought we'd take, take both of those issues and say, so here we are. Do we have any resolutions for the new year? And how do we feel more generally about the practice of resolutioning? Yeah, just a dizzying number of resolution questions for a podcast that's going to come out in February. Right. Long after everyone has forgotten that is a thing that exists yeah, or this, what they've actually made. This is the, this is hot takes topical is what this is. <laughs> so I think, I think we're probably good here. Um, the hot take in hot takes is when it comes out. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How the, dare you talk about this? This should now. still be relevant to you. Um, you know, kind of the weird thing. So like in the past, I have been a, a big uh, New Year's resolutioner. And I say that not as someone who sets and then maintains resolutions, but rather that as someone who knows they're going to breaks but continues to set resolutions. Just like the idea of it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. I I am totally for the artificially imposed idea of like renewing your focus on a thing or things, resetting, being different, all that crap. I, I think it's great. Um, this year I told myself, no grand sweeping claims about how different I would be, about um, you know what changes I would make in my life. 
it rather um, I would carry over what I thought I'd, I'd done better than I'd ever done as an adult anyways at the end of 2018. I felt like as 2018 was wrapping up, I was doing a better job of being intentional, of thinking about the future in terms of like my health and the importance of not sitting all the time uh, and playing board games with people that I wanted to play board games with and trying new board games. And I bought a journal that I've been writing in, not not to like talk about my feelings, but because they're like new games we've talked about mm-hmm. that I wanted to explore. Yeah. Or we've talked about new things for the podcast. And so I wanted to not be beholden to this blank canvas problem I've talked about in the past. So I did not set a resolution for 2019. Instead, my goal was to take all of the enthusiasm that I had for the things I wanted to do or was doing at the end of 2018 and carrying those things through. Yeah. Did you set any resolutions? So I have a complex relationship with resolutions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. not to sound bootstrappy, but, but here we are. I, I've come at my age to not consider myself a man of insignificant will. Mm-hmm. Um, I have done some things that people regard as holy crap now i'm not saying like i walked through the fire or anything like actually laudable but like when people like you wrote a 500 page book and published it i'm like yeah it's like how you did that i'm like i don't know and they're like i really don't know and then i have an anxiety attack and forget they asked me but like there's that in there like at at one point i lost 120 pounds in my life like i i I can if i set my mind to something i can be doggedly insane about it Mm -hmm. i I know i have that potential Mm -hmm. i have described you as doggedly insane however However, I also know that ego depletion is a very real thing <laughs> and that I suffer from it. And so I have had made many resolutions in the past, like say lose more weight and something like that. And then as an adult, I have my first 60 hour week and then I'm just like, you know what? Instead of losing weight, what if I drink two six packs and eat three cheese pizza and maybe take up smoking? Mm-hmm. Like I'm just, I just completely cave out. My willpower is done. Um, so it's a pretty steady drip of willpower. Mm-hmm. But it is mm-hmm. a drip, right. and that is the budget I have, and I have no more. Um, so I am very uh, reluctant to do any sort of resolution anymore. Um, one I have made for this year is to try and learn more about beer so I can try and talk. Which you've already started. about. I've tried. Yes, right. I, I'm working on that. Um, so, you know, so considering we do this podcast and you know, we do pontificate about this stuff, we do, it'd be better if I had something that was more informed to say. So I'm going to try and do that. Cause I know this is something that people dedicate their entire lives to mm-hmm. and that I swill while talking about Marvel movies. And that perhaps might be a disconnect that don't you might be this. disrespectful <laughs> to those you, people. Don't you diminish <laughs> Aww. it. Uh, so I'm going to try, uh, harder to get more informed about that. Um, also I'm like, but here's the thing I'm saying, I'm just going to learn more, but it started off being like, I should be a Cicerone. Like I just got to learn tap line systems, but I've drank enough beer to do this Definitely. at this point. And that's too much. I know I'm going to have a bad work week. Pull it back. Like, nope, not going to do that. Right. I'm really going to cut that and go play video games instead. Definitely. So, uh, I've sort of made my peace with what a lazy piece of shit Caleb could be. Uh, and so I sort of. Factor him into the equation now. I, I think it's rather a, than I don't the, think, well. One thing: don't characterize yourself as a lazy piece of shit. Because like, oh no, I am yeah, going no. to do that. Well, I, th- I think what's important here. I think there's a middle ground, yeah. which is sometimes you want to be a lazy piece of shit, and I think it's okay in those moments to be a lazy piece of shit. I also think to categorically describe yourself as a lazy piece of shit is stupid. 
I mean, it's yeah. it, that makes well, you a stupid piece of shit. How's mm-hmm. that feel, Caleb? Well, I mean, you don't write a 500-page book because you think you're doing great. <laughs> There's some desperation and fear chasing you like that. But it's certainly not You need not the lazy. dog at the heel right. to no, finish not, the race. Sometimes, <laughs> no, spite is also a good motivation. Like, fuck those people who think Amen. they can't do it. Yeah. Amen. Um, not that competitive. Okay. Normally, when I lose games, like yeah, I deserve that. Uh, that's that's sort of my that's yeah, sort of my rationale. Some of that. So, yeah. I, I I think I do think part of getting over older, or growing up, or being more mature, or whatever it is, is also recognizing your own limits. And maybe that's just what you're doing. It you just have a different way. A of man's talking got about to know it. his limitations. That's exactly right. No. Thank you, Ross. Um, and I know mine, uh, and I feel good about this. So here's to 2019 for all of you that made resolutions to be healthier, be better, be whatever it is that you think is good for you. Um, cheers to you. I hope it all works out. Uh, and I hope that we get to spend the whole year talking about it together. So with that, we're going to grab more beer. We'll be right back. Hey, uh, what are you drinking? Um, uh, I've decided that we're going to try a side project brewing beer. Oh, um, wow. They're out of St. Louis, Missouri. R- really? I hear they're great. That's real close. I'm not convinced, though. <laughs> so I want to try the Punchdown, which is a Missouri wild ale aged in wine barrels with California Pinot Noir grapes. I cannot hear the word <laughs> Pinot Noir anymore without thinking about Titus from uh, the Unbreakable yeah, Kimmy Schmidt. Right, yeah. That's, which is, that's right. Classy of me, I know. But. I also can't think of a beer less targeted at you because you don't like the anything about wine. Like yeah, th- this no, is all offensive. Nothing to you. about it. Yeah. So here we go. He is mm. smelling it. Ooh, that's got a. It's a very dark beer. It's got a scent. I'm going to be honest. Well, Pinot Noir. Yeah. 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 Wine barrel. He's drinking <laughs> it. He's still drinking it. A large sip. He's thinking about it. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh. that's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot in there. Um, Is that a good lot or a bad one? Here's the thing. I don't drink a lot. Like, what I know of Pinot Noir, I think, is that it's a red wine. (laughs) And so, therefore, like... God, I hope it's not. (laughs) And here's the thing. I don't know either. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Pinot Noir is red and Pinot Grigio is white. But I'm also... Noir is black, right? Is it a black wine? Do they have those? At least dark. (laughs) Um, So, I think there's some red whininess about this. I actually like it. Um, it tastes of a crooked stave style beer for me. Can which I try is, yeah, which here, try it out of the glass. It's better than okay. It's better than the uh, the. I think the bottled stuff. It needs to breathe. Yeah, we haven't had a cold yet this oh, year yeah. on right. the new yeah. podcast. We really gotta reinfect <laughs> ourselves for team right. unity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pat, well, the alcohol kills the germs. I'm a doctor, guys. Don't worry about it. Are you? <laughs> not that kind, but um, I I actually find that pretty drinkable. It's not perfect. It's not the best beer we've had. Are you thinking four? I'm thinking four. I'm thinking four as yeah, well. I think no. that's a four. It's def- I would definitely drink Ooh. another for one. For something aged on wine. Right. Yeah. That's totally. as good as it's gonna get for me. Totally agree. Yeah. Um I I like how it drinks very light. It's more interesting than cider. Here's for certain. Yeah. Think think about this now that yeah. we both had a second with it. Um it actually it it dissipates quite quickly. Like I don't taste it anymore. Um, it went away for me pretty pretty fast, uh, and I don't know if that's part yeah, of the dryness. A bit of a lingering. Uh, to use that dynamic metaphor, I think it it sort of has a back end peak, and then right. it starts uh, decrescendoing very fast. Could be that. So it's like yeah. You're kind of imagining you still taste it. Right. Um, yeah, very small, lingering. I like taste, it. Yeah. It's not my favorite thing we've had. Today. But it's definitely more complex than the uh, cider. 100%. Had, yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, we're into getting lit. 
Urichur. It's your number two vote getter. Uh, I've proposed this because I thought in the spirit of New Year's resolutions and whatnot, what a fitting time yeah. to have this conversation. So we've talked at length about the insane number of books that we've got sitting on shelves that haven't been touched, <laughs> that we bought because it looked like a good book or you wanted to read it, and then it went behind the other 37 books you haven't read. Mm-hmm. So there it sits. So I suppose I'm issuing this as a mixed six challenge. What are the top three books you want to and will now agree in principle to read for 2019 in a completely non-binding way. 100%. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> okay. Outside of the social pressure that is I assume at some point in November someone is going to ping me on Facebook and say, "How's that book going?" and I'm going to freak out and then try to cram a book in to the last 4 weeks of the year. Th- this this would be one of those books. So, a uh, book that you really want to finish. So I've actually begun. Um, so I had a bit of a revelation. So uh, during the despair that I think all of us have during their morning commute, but my commute is two plus hours a day considering the road work that is recently going on. Um, and so I realized with the no- amount of time I've worked at the place that I work and the amount of time that I convey that um, it is roughly equivalent to a short prison sentence. Now, I have prison books, as I feel every literate man and woman should, which are books that are so long and oppressively complex that I've only agreed to read them if I go into a jail cell for a significant <laughs> amount of time. So things do include on that, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. uh, Proust, uh, Nusgard, if I'm really running out of something to do. Uh, and then one of them, which I actually would look forward to reading, but have yet to do so, is Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. So I cannot read while driving yet. I'm working on it, but I haven't figured it out yet. Um, but I can do audiobooks. It turns out there is an audiobook version of Infinite Jest. It's only 58 hours long, hey. which means that I have a few more months before I finish it. I'm at 12%, baby. Yeah. You're rolling. 12%. You're rolling. Um, yeah. I, I do want to bring up a note. You know, there's a Japanese word for this exact trend of like uh, the the word uh, sundoku is acquiring reading materials, but letting them pile up in one's home without reading them. Uh, I think that's where you can't use the same number twice. No, yeah, definitely so, that one. <laughs> sundoku. I don't know, Ross. <laughs> are you just da- are you doubting Wikipedia? Is oh, that- yeah. Oh, that sundoku. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. I've made that mistake before. <laughs> um, uh, okay, well, that's interesting. Thank you for that nugget. Uh, let me know how that is, because I have a lot of interest in reading it, and I'm never going to touch it, and I don't think I'm going to get arrested. I don't know. <laughs> so the audiobook is is great. The guy who performs it is fantastic. His name eludes me at the moment. The problem is you can't really do footnotes. So one thing mm. I am reading on the night before I go to bed is the footnotes I listen to interesting. at work that day, that's which awesome. is yeah. fine. It's like not that. a bad deal, like because I often have trouble <clears throat> flipping back to the footnotes without... Having collected a few, yeah. like I can't do it every time. Uh, so one of the books, actually two of the books on my list are partially for pleasure, partially because I think they'd make me better in, in my workplace. And I think that's very important because I dedicate much of my life to that thing and so on and so forth. So the first one is called Collaborative Intelligence, Thinking with People Who Think Differently. This Donna Markova and Angie MacArthur. I'm actually about 30% of the way through this book, but I'm putting it on, putting it on this list because I know it feels like one of those books that I'm very interested in and I've already taken some really good nuggets from. Mm-hmm. But occasionally I encounter those books, I get 
get a few good nuggets and then I put them on the shelf and never finish them. And this one feels worth finishing. Yeah. Um, it is a really empirical, objective approach to the nature of collaboration and working styles and how to, A, assess your own thinking, collaborating style, and then B, integrate that with people who may have different thinking and collaboration styles. And I think that's not only professionally interesting, I just think it's kind of personally interesting um, as someone who kind of like, you know, talks with people a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to reading it, and if you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, the organizational improvement, the life coachy stuff, but you don't want to read uh, from the trash cannon, this yeah. seems like a really good place to go. Yeah. Uh, what's second for you? Uh, so along with my resolution, right? I, I'm currently reading Tasting Beer by uh, Randy Mosher, M-O-S-H-E-R, um, which is basically, if you look up Cicerone Study Guides, which is like being a sommelier for beer. Um, is the quintessential text. Like, that's the thing you have to read. Mm-hmm. Like, text vary from there, but you have to read a crap ton of Randy Mosier. And if it's if this is on the list, like, it's really just a matter of how many of his other books are on the list, because mm-hmm. the guy is pretty obsessive about beer. Right. So uh, I am trying to do that to up my beer IQ, so to speak. Yeah, great so idea. So I can uh, talk in beer nerd terms. Ross got me a history of beer graphic novel, and that's how I'm going to learn about beer this year. Yeah, and pictures that, are right, good. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, second on my list, so I do. I didn't just want to put like worky type things or improvement type things. Um, Joel Hawkins, God bless him, sent me a copy of The Dispossessed. Oh, great book. And I've never read it. I've started it, and then I put it down. Because, like, this is really interesting, and right now I'm very busy, and I don't have time to think about some of this stuff and explore all the possibilities. And I need to get back to it. Because even the first, like, 10, 15 pages were just freaking compelling as all hell. Yeah, it'll 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 fuck you up. Yeah. Like, by the time you get to the middle of The Dispossessed, you sort of like, oh, man. I think of everything in terms of possession. <laughs> right. Well, and yeah, it re- it really like I've not read me. any of her stuff and I feel mm-hmm. bad about that. Oh, you uh, definitely should. Yeah. Uh, I, it, the, the word for world is forest, right? Is that what that's called? That's oh yeah. I've yeah. read that one. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's really you, good. You need yeah. to read the ones who walk away from Omelas. Oh, um, if nothing else as a short story. The word's fantastic. I've read the word uh, yeah. for the world is force and uh, interesting bet Ursula when she when when she wrote it, she said yeah it was too uh, the Vietnam War was going on I was really angry and I looking back maybe I was too angry but when I read it I was like yeah no this is this is, <laughs> yep that's uh, awesome big mood that's yeah, cool like. yeah <laughs> uh, and um, so I want to put some time energy effort into actually doing that because it seems incredible and I need to I need to read some of the the big stuff oh uh, super great um, last one for you. Uh, mine is going to be The Weird by, uh, what's the anthology by Jeff and Ann Vandermeer, which is in and of itself, and I've talked about it before, a achievement. Like the fact that like, hey, we're going to make this genre up that everyone kind of knew existed, but no one had a canon for, and we will make it because mm-hmm. we're willing. Haven't you started that already? I, I am about, but here's the thing, I'm not jumping around. Wow. I'm about like 30% of the way through it. But here's the thing, like. Even though every story is not a banger that I'm really like getting something out of, like the screaming skull is like there was a skull that kept yelling. I'm like, <laughs> all right, that's what it says on the tip. I guess it's move, yeah. just move, like <laughs> go somewhere else. It doesn't have feet. It's a skull. <laughs> yeah, um, but like the amount of as a horror writer, especially in horror games, the amount of traction I've gotten out of that. Thirty percent of one book mm-hmm. is staggering. Like, like there's so much stuff that's like mm-hmm. pre Lovecraftian that's way scarier and mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. as racially repugnant. I, I, I've skipped around in that. I have that same book. Yeah, uh, and yeah, it, there's there's a shitload of great stories. In it, hmm. so yeah, yeah, so I am moving through 
straight through chronologically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but I have stalled, so I need to finish that. So I'm definitely going to finish the weird, mm-hmm. if only because like Vandermeer owes a cover to cover reading <laughs> for assembling that like tome mm-hmm. of a yeah, book. Yeah, he dives deep. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and that is like, by the way, that is a two column per page. Jesus. 800 pager. Good. Like, yeah, it's so a it is book. a yeah. staggering amount of Oof. collection. Uh, and yeah, it, it's just, it, it's an editorial achievement mm-hmm. in and of itself. Not to mention that some of the stories are freaking Doesn't he have a little thing about each story before it's our, Yes, yeah, yeah that so, is yeah. very well researched. But like, there's stuff in there that still fucks me up, like, like the willows. Like, man, trees are scary, huh? Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, I couldn't. In a million words, I, I I tried to do that in a horror scenario. It ended up being like the interactive fiction version of The Happening or something. <laughs> like I couldn't do like, and the fact that somebody pulled that off I was like, you mean man, Bird no. Box? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I'm just like, man, trees are scary though. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah. So it's it's really cool. I need to finish it. Yeah. Um, what you got? got? A couple. Uh, oh, hold one, on. I got one more. Okay, got one more. Yeah. Uh, Flow: The Psychology of Optimal Experience. Uh, this is just something oh, I've always I'm been. Anti this one. I've always been interested in this. Um, this book is like widely regarded as one of the best on the subject. I've read ah, the first quarter, and I thought it was fucking great. And then it went back on a shelf, uh, and I need to finish you it. In the flow. No, I wasn't. Whatever the fuck that is. And I just want to know what that is, and I want to see what a study of it looks like. Uh, Producer Ross. Uh, one is actually, when you mentioned like prison books, big old thick books. That you yeah. Need. Uh, one would, for me, would be Declare by Tim Powers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, or just Tim Powers. For yeah, me, yeah. Um, because for one thing, it's uh, Greg Stolze has repeatedly referenced that particular book as a major inspiration for Unknown Armies, and it's kind of like a secret occult history of the Cold War with all kinds of crazy hmm. supernatural bullshit happening. And I'm like, all right, well, that. So I, I mean, have it's up our alley. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's up our alley. I have. A, there's a new book that came out last year called Red Thread on mazes and labyrinths, and it's a nonfiction book about oh, mazes. Do, and, you do love some mazes. You I do. do love mazes uh and then finally um i got this for christmas uh, kitchen confidential by uh anthony Bourdain. oh yeah yeah um like i read the new yorker article that kind of inspired yeah. the book and i'm like well i love this yeah. so i want to get more of that so i've actually read major sections of that yeah uh, but not the whole thing yeah i've not done the whole thing yeah pa- parts I'm, I'm very sad he's gone uh, yeah parts of um parts unknown and like no reservations really irked me yeah but other parts i was like oh that's great like uh, so Anthony Bourdain's veins really figure that just like tore me in half in terms of like, well, that's some pretentious bullshit. It's like, oh, he ate a Waffle House. Good for him. Maybe yeah, yeah. not so well known. There was a Kitchen Confidential series mm-hmm. starring Bradley Cooper, which actually wasn't that bad. Oh, well, well, you lost me at Bradley Cooper. <laughs> and I'll be honest, you didn't get me back. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but this is like an annotated copy like with notes and additional oh, information that's cool. about oh, that's cool, that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are three books I definitely want to read this finish this year tight um we got one beer left we'll be right back caleb what is this the last of our side project beers this is chamborsin love it which is a missouri wild ale with wine grapes aged in oak it's really just like a super cut of everything we've had so far. Really is. Wine grapes, oak, wild ales. The the amalgamation of. Ticking off the boxes. Smell, I mean, it smells, yeah, it smells a little whiny. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to yeah, shoot you straight. It's a little whiny. Yeah. It kind of made my 
like my my glands go, oh, it smells like wine back there. Oh, your face is not the happiest face that you've made. But he's going back. What? This is, uh, now I have some dissonance here because you look a, you look a mad, but then you went back for it. Here's the thing. You know a brewer's capable. Right. So you want to make sure. Right. And here's the thing. This is a three for me, mm-hmm. but it's probably because I'm not wild about wine. Hmm. Yeah. If you're a wine person and you want to try some beer, I would recommend this because I assume that this would be up your alley. But Well, we all know that I'm as a, a you wine said, person. As you said with the scent, it is extremely whiny. Uh, you can very much taste the grapes. Um, yeah. I don't notice the complexity of flavor that we saw with the... I think that's the bit for me right there that the, you hit on the head. Yeah, the, the uh, what was it called? The LaRouche, yeah. especially. The Balatone, yeah. especially. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of meh I on think, it. I think it's the complexity for me. I get a little tart, and then I get grape. Um, yeah, tart grape. And some of those earlier beers, it was three, four, five things. Um, and it, I liked all of them. And it's not as astringent as wine is for right. me, uh, right. by any means. It's good. I'm going to drink it and finish it, right. but it's a three. Yeah. Um, hey, we're into Drunk Enough. Our first one of the year, um, you proposed it. Lead us in. So here's how I phrased it in our planning document. Yep. Is there a benefit to assigned slash corporate mentorship that wouldn't be better served in a teacher, student, or designated trainer role? So as I clarified that, if you're in a mentor-mentee relationship isn't the feature the casual and voluntary nature of it? Uh, I don't think so, necessarily. So a couple of thoughts on this, as someone who has been a corporate assigned mentor-mentee coach, right? Because that's another word that... That's like, where I came from, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hold on, I'm making actually notes to myself because I had a few thoughts. Okay, here we go. Um, there can be. A, I think if you have a good mentor, and B if you have someone who's open to being mentored. And I rarely think these things are both true. Yes. Um, I have worked, That's where I come from. Right. I've worked with a bunch of mentees who didn't want to be menteed, mentored, who weren't all that interested in learning, who already thought they knew things, or who frankly were just not comfortable with the, who maybe wanted to grow but weren't comfortable with, I think, some of the honesty and accountability that is part of the mentor-mentee relationship. I've also worked with a lot of mentors, you know, in a couple of different industries. And the best ones are very honest, they're very open, they're very accountable, they're very transparent, they're very vulnerable. They're willing to say things like, I don't know, but let me find out. Um, And I think those people are few and far between, and I've worked with probably far more mentors who took a very like, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, but a real teaching model to things. This is how things are done, and this is how you should do things. Yeah. And I don't think that is a good approach for that relationship. Yeah, I get that. I didn't I didn't really have an answer to this question when I proposed it, but like the I'm in a process now where I have a fantastic mentee uh that is doing a wonderful job, and I'm thrilled to have them on board. Um, and I am in a position of being a mentor for the first time ever. As uh, I'm realizing, I've been in this profession long enough to get what is called a master certification, which is super anxiety inducing. Um, But here's the thing. I don't know that I'm that great. In fact, I'm fairly certain I'm not that great on the mentor side of things. Uh, As hard as I try to be otherwise. And then I have also been the mentee multiple times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, while I've had fantastic mentors, exclusively none of them have been the people I was assigned to be my mentor who right. were all trash mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was a better teacher than when I was in high school. Right. Um so 
that's the problem. Like, I've had some fantastic mentors that I've discovered to be like, oh, they know what they're doing. Yeah. They've told me what they're doing. Right. They're invested in me doing well. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that's a bad relationship to have. Yeah. But, like, boss man comes down and said, this your mentor. Right. I don't know that that's ever helped me in any significant way. Yeah. I, I am petrified that it's not helping my poor mentee in any significant way. Right. Um, and, and so that's where I'm at. Here's, here's I think, the risk of the voluntary bit. Um, and I agree with you that some of, probably some of my best, most effective mentors have not been official mentors. Right? Yeah, in a, exactly. In a sanctioned sense. It's, it's a more interpersonal relationship than right. it is a uh, role relationship. Right, for sure. The, the risk to the voluntary one, and I think an important element there, is that um, I do think there's something to be said for some official sanctioned, formal, whatever word you want to use in there, goal setting and accountability um, that I think comes with some of the, you know, what you've called corporate assigned, what, you know, formal relationships. Yeah. And I think that's good. And um, I've had some really wise, wonderful, terribly great uh, kind of informal casual mentors who also, for one reason or another, because it was casual, there was never this, oh, also, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire on this thing. It was, well, I would I would suggest you do this. And it was kind of offered as advice rather than mm-hmm. uh, rather than a, um, a rule in some sense. And I think there's something to holding things as rules in those yeah. developmental relationships. So I don't know that these are so much an either or to me. I, I think that informal mentors are great. If you can find a good informal or casual mentor, awesome. But I think that formal accountability and formal developmental relationships can also be really good if people are willing to embrace both roles. And the the relationships of that ilk that I've seen be most successful really exist in kind of what we would think of as a listening model rather than a teaching model. Uh, here, here's what I'm struggling with, uh, where a mentor listens to what's going on and then adapts and off- offers reflection or suggestion um, rather than a top-down, here's what you're going to do uh, with with really no consideration for strengths, weaknesses, concern, etc. So here's where I am. I don't think the act of assigning it is particularly bad or damaging sure. or what can happen. However, <clears throat> if it is assigned and the person sort of takes it as writ, this should be a mentor-mentee relationship. These are the words we've used. These are the expectations I have. And if in many instances that relationship is not good, right? Not productive, not cohesive, not voluntary. Yeah, I think that is damaging. And now, while mm-hmm. that might not be the case in in normal occupations, in teaching, we are the occupation of go get them, kid, mm-hmm. kick them in the door, lock the shit behind them, and if they survive, they deserve to be among us. Like right. we are the occupation of abandon you to the job, yeah. and if you make it out alive. We're happy to have whatever got through. Um, and so we have this sort of, I considering over 50% of the people who try it out quit within right. the first five years. Right. We have this sort of assigned, you need to be mentor, mentee. I don't think there's anything more um, psychologically damaging in that situation than having this sort of assigned mentor to lead you through this process mm-hmm. and to be abandoned by them or not fit with them. I agree with that. I feel like it is psychologically harmful to a point where like if you had like a trainer trainee and it was more bullshit, like right. that's not something anybody who's teaching is unfamiliar with, which mm-hmm. is paperwork bullshit. Whereas if it was then, well, maybe you need to find a mentor right. 
and not just assess this as writ as your assigned mentor. I, I worry that's damaging. What? And the thing is, I'm not abandoning anybody, but I do worry that I am too cynical to be any kind of positive teacher figure. Would right? you? Would you like a, a at least like a grad school type model where? Um, you know, you get to yeah, wor- pick your advisor. Yeah. Take, yeah. take some time, figure yeah. out who you have a good relationship with, who who offers you good feedback, et cetera. And I think that would be better than, yeah. you know, this is the one because. What 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 if then what if then the mandate was you needed to have a mentor rather than the, you needed to have this mentor? Um, is that a better model for you? I, I think it would be. Okay, interesting. But what I worry about is like, you know, cynical bastard Caleb. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, yeah. I I hate being the guy who's like more cynical than he deserves to be. Like, I wasn't at a war, but right. like it, everyone's been at the fast food job. It was just like, you ain't seen a lunch rush, fresh meat. And it's like a 17-year-old girl named Janice. Right. Like, yeah. um, right. like it's not it's not terrible. Like, like, well, you weren't in Vietnam. Right. Like, calm right. down. Like, and I, I don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, I am that guy about right many things right uh, which is not exactly the, the trenches f- fresh face yeah the trenches i'm the trenches guy and yeah. i recognize that and as hard as i fight that i know that's got to be coming through yeah. yeah um so yeah i i, I agonize over that i'd yeah. be curious to know uh what what your experience what, what what everybody else's experience has been with mentor mentee relationships and if they've been fruitful and were they mandated or informal to to, to see if i i just have a misread on this based on um the industries in which i work hey if you've been listening to, to this we appreciate you so much for either being with us for one of your first times or sticking with us for quite a long time now as we said at the top of the show if you're unaware of our new patron backer opportunities definitely check out our patreon page just go to patreon.com and search for the mix six podcast you'll see all of the new opportunities and content that is available to you. Also, if you're not following us on Twitter, check us out at The Mixed Six. On Instagram, we're The Mixed Six Podcast. And then you can find us on Facebook. Just look for The Mixed Six Podcast and you'll find a page and a group. Finally, we've got some stuff up on YouTube. Some people say it's funny. Hey, if you want to send us something in the mail, and many of you have, thank you so much, just write to The Mixed Six, 2131 West Republic Road, number 101, Springfield, Missouri, 65807. We were fortunate enough to receive over the break a copy of Seafall, which we're very much looking forward to from Max Nestorowicz. It appears to be a rather robust legacy game that will take us quite some time. Thanks so much for that, Max, and everybody else. Good brews, bad views. Hey, thanks so much for listening to us. We're super excited for 2019 and all the new stuff we've got going on. Stay tuned for more opportunities to engage with us. Uh, once again, this has been the Mix 6 Podcast. I'm Spencer. Is... is Haywire moving closer to us? He's moved the whole time. I don't time. remember setting him there. Yeah, he, he's a little closer. Do the outro so we can leave quicker. For now, I'm Caleb. Ah!